All right. Does everybody have a, um, a listening sheet or an outline? Okay, you all have one? Very good. Um, we're going to take a little detour today. I want to talk to you about something I've just called Church Matters. And you can see in your outline there are several places that we're going to look at. And you may want to turn to John to get started. John chapter 13. And we'll be looking at verse 35. Well, I know I have John in my Bible. My Bible opens to Mark. I don't know about you. Anyone else having that problem this morning? I don't want to hear any complaining. We could be back in Ephesians. So you old timers know about that. That's an inside joke for people that have been around a long time. All right. I want to talk to you today about church matters. And um, first I want to say to you how much I appreciate this church and you people. I have watched you recently. Um, Truly be the hands and feet of Jesus to some people that are hurting in this neighborhood. And uh, I'm telling you, that's a beautiful thing to see. It really is. I, I, I knew very well what my part uh, was on those days, and that was to be able to concentrate on sharing the gospel with some very hurting people. Um, but we couldn't have really put arms around them without you folks. And you all came, came uh, just kind of stepped up to the plate so well provided food, but not just food, um, kindness and love and acceptance to those folks. And it made, it made and is making a big difference uh, for sure. And I, I just want to commend you to that today. Um, the church. The church is uh, one of the most amazing organizations concepts, if you will, in, in, in all of history. It makes no sense to, it never made sense to me. Church should not work. It really shouldn't. Think about it. It's made up mostly of volunteers who come voluntarily, right, who give even sacrificially and sow into the kingdom so that that church can continue to function it, it has always amazed me as a pastor that you, that you come every Sunday to listen to the likes of me. I, I, give you, I think there's rewards in heaven for you all for that. <laughs> uh, it, it really does. It's shocking. I've often thought, uh, especially in my younger years when I worried more about stuff than I do now, um, that, that the church was a deck of cards like uh, built into a house. Uh, my son, Jack, I don't know why, but he loves to take a deck of cards and make... Um, stack them up and make, you know what I'm talking about? When you make the, and, and Emma loves to come by and bump the table. And you and what happens when that, when she bumps the table? They all fall down, right? Because there's really not much holding up the, the, the house of cards. And I often felt like the church is a house of cards. It's just put together and boy, just the, the littlest wind would, would knock it down just because looking at it from the outside in. But boy, the, the one factor that's not being recognized there is that the church is not a physical thing. It's spiritual. And God himself holds her together. And, and no wind is going to knock her over. She is solid today. 
And I want to encourage you with some stuff. I, it, it doesn't happen all the time, but today I'm going to preach to myself, and I'm just going to let you listen. Does that sound fair? I'm just going to talk to Pastor Paul this morning and, and kind of let you in on some of that. Um, I want to talk to you about the three mandates of the church. Years ago, we went to every church growth seminar that, that there was, and they, they told us a lot of things about how to build a big church, and none of them worked. They just didn't, because we were going after numbers, and God was after souls. And those things do not always correspond. They just don't. One of the things we were taught is that a, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. And in some sense, that's true. But I think there's, there's something left off of that. And I want to share that with you today. I want, to, I want to talk about those first two, but I want to talk about a third that is so vital. And then I want to ask you to help me help you. And, and with that, we'll have hopefully what the Lord's laying on my heart to communicate to you today. So the first thing I want you to see is the first great mandate of the church is the great commandment. The great commandment, write that down. And uh, also jot down and maybe go there in your Bible is Matthew 22, 35 to 40. 35 to 40. What, as you stop and think about what is a church about? Why are we here? And what is it that we do and do well? I want you to think about that in our local expression. Here we are, Lake Wildwood Baptist Church. What do we do well? What do we do, what do, we do that, that uh, is almost as natural as breathing to us? And we do, it, we, do it, we do a real good job at it. Think about that for a minute. Matthew 22, 35 to 40, the Bible says this, and one of them, a lawyer, or we know it to be a scribe, asked Jesus a question to, notice this, to test him. Verse 36, teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And then he gives them something for free in verse 39. And he says this, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus makes the statement, on these two, uh, on these two commandments hang all the law and prophets. Now what you need to understand here, a couple of things contextually. Number one, law and prophets. When you hear that in the New Testament, it's referring to the entirety of the Old Testament. The law is the Pentateuch. Moses wrote them, first five books of the Bible. Probably the ones you memorize earliest. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and what? Deuteronomy. Alright, that's, that's the Pentateuch, that's the law. Everything after? is considered the prophets. And Jesus says, hey, if you love God and love people, that takes care of the requirements of the Old Testament, is what he's saying here. The other contextual thing you need to know here is that really, this lawyer, if you will, this scribe, was in one sense being, being um, uh, I had a good word for it and it just escaped me. He was, he was treating Jesus like a child. Because this was, this, this question, uh, what is the first and great commandment, was, was, a, was a Jewish catechism question that you would say to Simon and Sophia. You, uh, these Jewish children were, 
were taught not only the question, but more importantly, the answer from the time they were these kids' age. So, so this man was trying to embarrass Jesus and, and, and treat him like he was just a child. And basically, he was saying this, trying to discredit him and trying to get him to stumble. He was basically saying in front of these crowds, you probably don't even know what the greatest commandment is. In other words, you're not a good Jew. Do you even know what the greatest commandment is, little boy? That's kind of the tone here. And Jesus repeats to him what he learned at the feet of his father, Joseph. Yeah, I know the first the greatest commandment. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Which was the right answer. But then he says, let me give you, let me give you the second greatest commandment. You shall love your neighbor how? As yourself. By the way, was this scribe loving his neighbor Jesus like he loved himself at that moment? Trying to, trying to make him look bad? No. What Jesus was doing was revealing this man's heart. And by the way, don't you... How many, how many of you know that Jesus will do the same thing with us today? And not, not to be cruel, but to help us to come to, to an idea of, of who we are, where we are, and what, what we need from him, right, for healing. So he comes to this guy, and, he's, and then he says this, on these two commandments, they're not suggestions, they're what? Commandments. Hang all the law and the prophets. And again, this was a reference, a physical reference to uh, the city gates. Now, when we have a gate, if you have a yard that's got a gate on it, where are the hinges? They're on the side, right? In the city gates, the hinges were on the top. And that's how come in the Psalms when it says, lift up your heads, O you gates, literally the city gates were lifted up and in. Does that make sense? Um, and so he says, yeah, you got to have both of those. And if you, if you can love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and you love your neighbor as yourself, guess what? You've met all of the requirements. Love is the fulfillment of the law, Paul will tell us later in Romans. That, that, that's your problem, and that's the solution. And then turn over to John 13, verses 34 to 35 this morning. And I want to deal with the second part. He says this, Jesus says, and he's talking, now, now Jesus here in John 13, he's talking to his guys. These are, this is the inner circle. He's talking to uh, his men, and, and he has a, a very important teaching that he needs for them to grasp in John chapter 13. A matter of fact, we see that this is, uh, John is letting us in, if you will, on the conversation that took place in the upper room at the Last Supper. That's where this happened. Judas is already gone. Jesus dismisses him. And right on the heels of that dismissal, back up to verse 31. So when he had gone out, that's Judas, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, there's the context. What's he talking about? Like physically, what's Jesus talking about? I'm going to be with you a little while longer and I'm gone. 
Yeah, not only am I going to die, but ultimately, his, I think there's a double message here. It's also talking about his ascension, right? <laughs> he said, and, and, and are they understanding any of this yet? No. no, no way. Will they understand it later? Yeah. And that's something I've even seen in Mark in our time together. I have just, and I'm seeing it more in our discussion. I don't know about the Tuesday group. I, I'm betting you all have seen this too. I'm so appreciative and in awe of Jesus' patience. He, he still taught the guys, even though they, they weren't getting it. That didn't seem to discourage him. He knew they would. Boy, what an encouragement that is for me. So on the heels of that, he said, here's what you need to know, fellas. Look at verse 34. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you. Check this out. That you love one another, how? As I have loved you, that you also love one another. That's a pretty strong word, isn't it? Look at verse 35. By this, by this what? Loving each other. With this agape Jesus kind of love. By this kind of loving each other, all will know that you're my followers, my disciples. If, or literally that word is because, you have love for one another. This is the great commandment. Love God and love people. It's part of our mission statement. How are we doing loving God? And how are we doing loving people? One of the things that we were asked at this conference this weekend, uh, which we need to ask this stuff more often. You need to ask this for yourself, but even for your church. What do we do well? What are we doing well? And how are we doing with this great commandment? Are we loving each other well? And what does that look like? What's the measuring stick for obedience to the great commandment? Are we loving God well? And because we love him so well, we are loving each other well? What's that look like? And what would you say to that? How would you answer that personally and corporately? Say again? It needs improvement. Always, always we, could, we could do better with that, right? For sure. But as I looked at our church, and he had some things that we went through and, and, and whatnot and did kind of ticked some boxes off. Um, I, I do think that this part is something that we do well. That's one of the things I think Lake Wildwood Baptist does. We do love each other. And these small groups and even in the larger group, we, we've got some things figured out there. We, we love each other well. But here's the thing, and here's what our, our, the speaker said, and it just really hit me was this. He said, a church that loves well and has this figured out, but doesn't have the second part figured out, which is the outreach portion of it, the great commandment, uh, or great commission part of it, of going and evangelizing. He said, here's the thing. They're going to they're gonna love real well, but they're going to be ineffective in expanding the kingdom. And I wondered when, I, when, when he said that, I said, yeah, we're really good at that loving part. We're not as good... <laughs> at the expansion of the kingdom part, which is the second, the second uh, great mandate of the church, which is the great commission. So the great commandment, how are you doing loving the people God's put in your life? How are you doing loving uh, your, your, your church family? How are you doing loving the Lord? How are you doing loving the family you do life with that live under your roof every day? 
And are you loving them like Jesus loves us? With a self-sacrificial love. Important questions. The second one is the Great Commission. And we find this in Matthew 18, verses 18 through 20. Here's what the Word of God says. And, and Jesus spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me where, church? In heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, or that word lo is like a word that says, and don't forget, I am with you how long? Always, even to the end of the age. Um, we call this, and rightly so, we call this the Great Commission. So this great love, this, this great commandment, obedience to the great commandment is going to produce in us a desire to fulfill the great commission. To go and to make disciples. And there's only one main verb in that whole section and it's make disciples. That's the main verb. The rest of those things that look like verbs are what's called participles and they just, they're the YBH of the verb, if that makes sense. So what Jesus is saying, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to be on the go as we're going about our life. We're, we, got, we got one task and one task only, and that is to make what? Disciples, make followers of Jesus. How, how are we doing on that? And they say, well, what does it look like to make a follower of Jesus? Well, there's got to be a, 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 a conversion, right? A, a turning away from sin and a turning to the Savior and a, and a public confession of that in, in, a, in a right a sacrament that we call baptism, right? So what does making disciples look like? People, people coming to the end of themselves and finding Jesus and confessing him as their king and publicly standing up and saying so. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it doesn't end there, does it? And teaching them to do what? What's that O word that children love so well? Obey. Obey. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Remember, Jesus just gave us a command in John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. Right? Love one another. There's, there's one of his commands to obey. We've got to, and that's got to be taught. Right? Teaching them to observe or obey everything that I've commanded you. So in this idea of the Great Commission, you have to ask, how are we doing on that? Are we going? And can we point to anything that we've done recently as a church or as an individual that is designed to help take someone and teach them to observe everything that the Lord has commanded? And if we can't come up with something, we've got to stop and ask a whole bunch of other questions. Amen. We really do. And this is not meant to be discouraging. It's meant to wake us up. I heard a story recently about a church that like literally in the middle of nowhere. We, as we drove down to the conference, we passed a lot of, there's no straight way to get to Mobile, by the way. It's all back roads except for five miles on I-10. Other than that, you're going through these small towns and they all look the same. They got, this, they got the town square with the courthouse in the middle. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And, and, and a, a Waffle House and a McDonald's and that's it. <laughs> we passed through so many of these towns uh, getting down there. And so apparently this, this town uh, was 
kind of out there by itself, and there was nothing for 30 miles in any direction but this little town. And God had called this pastor there. Um, and the church, just a handful, 20, 30 people, mostly older folks in the church. And um, he, he found himself at yet another fellowship meal after a funeral. And he was discouraged and he said, Lord, what am I doing here? I said, All I'm doing is burying people. And, and, and then going to fellowship meals after the, after the funeral. You know, and, it, and it can be discouraging, right? And as he sat there and thought about that, he was looking around and he said, but you know, we do this very well. <laughs> we do this part real well, this fellowship part in this little tiny town, just a, just a few hundred people. He said, you know, we do, that's one thing we do well, and we're going to be doing more of it. And it gave him an idea. You know, sometimes I think we tend to look at what we're not doing well and try to fix that. And spend so much time trying to fix that that we stop doing well what we were doing well. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Mike Glaze years ago gave me a book. It's still on my desk. It's called uh, Soar With Your Strengths. So many times we try to fix what's wrong that we don't concentrate on what's right. And every church has a DNA, a thumbprint. And as this discouraged pastor looked around his fellowship hall and saw his people loving one another actively... By, by breaking bread together at the end of a hard day, he said, we do this real well. What if we could, what if we could capitalize on that? And he came upon an idea. And he called, there's only one funeral home in town. He called the funeral director and uh, said, told him who he was, which they were very well acquainted by now. And he said, look, I want you to do something for me. He said, every Every funeral you get, every person that dies in our town, all I want you, I want you to uh, call me and let me know and, I'll, and give me some contact information and we're going to provide a fellowship meal for them after the service because we do that well. And they started doing that. Every time there was a death in that community, the church provided a fellowship meal afterwards. And you know what they became known as? In this small community that was isolated with no towns nearby, they became known as the church that cares about people. Why? Because they met them at their point of need. And they were, they were the physical hands and feet of Jesus when people were hurting. And folks, you all do that very well. I saw you do that. Was it just last Saturday, a week ago Saturday? I think it was. Seems longer. At that really hard funeral that we had here. You guys did that so well. So, so don't get discouraged today. I want to encourage you today to look at what, what we're doing well and how can we capitalize on that? How can we use that to help us do some outreach? Because I'm looking at that and I'm looking at that, that poor aunt that sat right there whose heart is broken, who does not know by her own admission, does not know Jesus. And I'm like, it can't just be a fellowship meal. But what that fellowship meal did is it, is it gave us an open door. But brothers and sisters, you and I are the ones that got to walk through that door. Y'all get what I'm saying? And that's the great commission. We got to walk through that door and continue that relationship that God has provided and opened for us right there. Does that make sense today? So it's the great commandment and the great commission. And here's what happens oftentimes. And I, 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 will, I can praise the Lord and say, I, I don't think, I don't see that having happened in our church, I have pastor friends that it's happened to, that the only evangelizing taking place is the evangelizing the pastor's doing. 
right? And what that leads to is passive people and an overworked pastor, right? It's not just, for, it's not just the pastor's job. It's all of our job. And that comes, that brings me to the last one. And this is something that's so important. It's not just the great commandment and the great commission. It's the great cultivation. And I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We find this in Paul's letter to the Ephesians chapter 4. Look at what it says here, in, beginning in verse number 10. This is speaking of Christ. He who descended, that's Jesus, is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens. In other words, he's at the right hand of the Father, that he might fill all things. Now look what Jesus does in his resurrection. And he, gave, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. By the way, this is interesting to me. This is the only place that the actual word pastor is mentioned in the epistles. This is the only mention we get. Now, there are some other words, bishop, elder, overseer, that are synonymous with pastor. But this is where the word pastor, the only place it shows up in our English New Testament. Verse 12, why does he give these five ministries of, of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors and teachers. What, what are their job? Well, verse 12 tells us. If you've got your own Bible, I want you to underline this word, equipping. For the equipping, equipping of who? What's that say, church? The saints. What am I equipping the saints to do? What's that next phrase? Who does the work of ministry? The saints who are equipped by who? The leaders, the leadership, Right? The pastor's job, the, the, the elder's job in the church is not to go do all the evangelizing. My job is to teach you how to go out there and do the work of ministry. And listen to me. If I'm doing your job, I am failing not only you, but I'm failing the Lord and, and the expansion of the kingdom. Does that make sense this morning? And brothers and sisters, you, can't let, you must not allow me to do that. And we must have our thinking course corrected and adjusted to understand that, hey, I need to, I need to be equipped to go out and do the actual ministry. Because that's what the scripture says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now notice what the result of that is. For the edifying, that means building up of the body of Christ. What does that do? When you're equipped and you go out and do ministry, what does it do to the whole body? It builds it. Builds up the body of Christ. And look, look at the goal in verse 13. Until we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you see it? There's the goal. Listen to me. You're, you're never going to look like Jesus. You're never going to be built up to the fullness of what God designed and intended you to be by sitting in a pew. You need to get some equipping, some training, so that you can go out and do the ministry, the work of the ministry that God is calling and designing you to do. That makes sense? What's that look like? What does that look like? What does it look like to be equipped to go do the work of the ministry? Well, one of the things you've got to understand is that when you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, 
God gives you a spiritual gifting, a spiritual gift. Why is it called spiritual? Because he gives it. And it comes through the presence of the Holy Spirit who has now enveloped and invaded your life. That's what makes us new, by the way. Isn't that amazing that we're one with the Holy Spirit? Our spirit and the Holy Spirit are one. And the Holy Spirit's presence in your life is producing an ability that is spiritual. And there are several different gifts, and at some point we're going to go through those and look at them. One of my gifts is what I'm doing right now, is teaching and preaching. Get the teaching and prophecy of, of, of speaking forth the truth of God's Word. It's what God made me to do, and, and I'm thrilled to do it. But there are other gifts besides this one. Some have the gift of evangelism. They, uh, Jay, Jay Lordson, remember Pastor Jay? It, that, I've never seen a guy with a gift of evangelism. That guy will witness to a rock. I'm not, I mean, you go out with him, and, and you're going to learn how to share the gospel because he can't help it. He opens his mouth, and the gospel falls out. What, what is that? that? That's a spiritual gift. And why does he have it? Because I don't have the gift of evangelism, and I need to see what obedience to the evangelism call looks like, and I get to see it in people like Jay who have that gift. Does that make sense? I married a person with the gift of faith. And the gift of faith is really simple. It says, God said it, must be true, and I can act on it. I, I don't have to worry because... God is trustworthy. And it's a supernatural spiritual gifting that's almost childlike in the way it works itself out. And it's really frustrating to live with somebody like that if you don't have that gift. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I try to sit her down and worry with me and she won't do it. She won't. She won't worry. And what, what happens? I, I get to see through her what it looks like to trust God for things that are making me crazy, right? Because she has the gift of faith, and I'm learning from her. You see how this is supposed to work? But what happens if this whole, just this body in here is, is we're all gifted, but nobody's operating in the sphere of your giftedness? What, what happens? It's like the power plug is pulled on the building up of the body of Christ. So really, this, this great cultivation is, is that you need to, and I, we need to, we need to get serious and find out, God, what, what do you got me on this planet for? What gift did you give me, and how can I use that for your glory and to build up the body of Christ? And that's where this comes in. And all of it is just discipleship, right? It's learning to follow your king. And discipleship fixes everything. I mean, think about it. There's not one thing in the church that that's wrong in the church that discipleship can't fix. And you know what we do? Discipleship is the one thing that we talk about. We sing about discipleship. We read books about discipleship, but it's the one thing we don't do. You say, I don't even know what discipleship is. Anybody here ever had a child and taught them how to walk? Right? Watch a kid... Right, and you teach them how to walk. That's discipleship. You said it is? Yeah. Get someone who can't do something, but is growing into the ability to do it, but what do they need? They need encouragement, they need instruction, and they need practice. 
Do you get that? We need encouragement. Hey, you can do this. You're made for this. You need instruction. Now, here's what you need to do. Get both feet together. Don't do that penguin thing. Don't put, put your toes straight. Stretch out a little bit and take a step. Sometimes they need some, some practice and some help, right? Some, some we're going to hold on to their hands at first. Right? And then they just need to practice it over and over again. Because what are they going to do usually? What's, what happens the first few times? They fall. They take a couple steps and they fall over. Now, they could be really tempted to quit right there. Well, I tried. Walking's not for me. Apparently, it's not God's will that I walk. Right? Do we give up on them? No, because we know that, listen, here's, here's what we're convinced of. We're convinced that God gave innately in that child the ability to walk, whether that kid understands it or not. We're going to disciple them to the point that they can understand it and flourish in it. So you understand exactly what discipleship is. It's encouragement, it's instruction, and it's practice, doing it over and over and over again until it becomes natural. And that's what God gave us all spiritual gifts to do, to help each other learn to walk in that giftedness and build up the body of Christ. And we forget that. We forget that so often. And I'm telling you, as a church today, if we're going to do what God's called us to do, we've really got to step back and look at these three things. Some of that's going to land on my shoulders and the shoulders of our men that God's called to help us with that. And it's something that we're working on. We're, we're looking at stuff real hard right now. We're doing, working with a, a, a couple of groups that are helping us take a hard look at where we are, what we do well, what we don't, what parts of these three that, that, that we are doing well and can do better, right? We're looking at all of that for your sake and the Gospels. But, so, but, but some of that's on your side of the scale. You've got to cooperate and be part of that. And you know what I know about you folks? You will. I, I've, I've been here long enough to know how you folks operate. And I'm telling you what, no lie. I'm not making this up. I go to events like I went to this weekend. Now, this weekend was a little different because it's, it's a much smaller, more intimate time of training. But there's, you know, there were probably 15 pastors there. And over the weekend, after talking to them and hearing them talk and listening, you know what I come away with? I'm so thankful I pastor where I pastor, and I don't have to pastor their church. <laughs> I'm so thankful for you people. I listen to all these horror stories, and I'm like, man, I got great folks. I mean, I got the best people in the world, and I really do think that about you. You know, I, my, my wife will, I, I, maybe this is another one of her giftings, I don't know, and I don't know what to call it. But, you know, I'll tell her stuff about the kids, our children, you know. Just the other day, I said to her something about Paul, um, and I said, man, I am so proud of him. His, he's got such integrity in that area of his life. I just, I'm jealous of it. And I'm so, I'm so proud of that. And you know, what do you think she asked me? Have you told him? Right? I'm like, well, no, he knows it. <laughs> Thank you, memory. <laughs> uh, she said, no, he doesn't. Not unless you tell him. And it's so important, right? And I think I do that a lot of times with you folks. I think a lot of things about you and I don't tell you. And I want to tell you, I, I am so thrilled to be able to be the guy that shares God's word with you. 
And I know that when I ring the bell and I say, hey, we got a situation and we got a chance to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Here's what I know. I can concentrate on praying for that family and I can concentrate on, on preparing to share the gospel because I know that you people are going to be taking care of what's going to happen in there. And you did and you do. And that's what we do well. And we're going to concentrate on some of that stuff and figure out how we can take the gifts that God has given us and help us do it even better so that we are, we are seeing the body built up and the kingdom expanded. Because here's the reality, folks. The kingdom of Christ needs to expand in you before it expands around you. And you know what a lot of that's keeping us from happening? Is we're not, we're not, we're not serving. We're sponges. We're just taking in. By the way, how do you get water out of a sponge? Thank you, Ms. Reba. You squeeze it. So when we're taking in and taking in and not giving up, you're going to get squeezed, right? And it's the way of life. And God does that not to be mean, but because he wants you to experience what it is to be filled and to be operating in what he's called you to do. I, uh, I want to close with this. I, this. This moved me greatly when I heard it. A friend of mine recently ran into a pastor from Nain, Labrador. And I doubt any of you even know where Nain, Labrador is. If you think of the top of North America, on one side you have Alaska. You picturing that? And on the other side you have Labrador. A lot of you thought Labrador was just a breed of dog. It's actually a place and it's very, very cold. Matter of fact, in Labrador... Um, you are, you are stranded there seven months out of the year because of the cold. The only way to get to Labrador is either flight or, or by boat. And seven months out of the year, it is too cold um, and due to the ice and the severe weather to get either a plane or a boat in there. So you're stuck for seven months. And this pastor who had served there was at a conference and uh, he says, he said, they asked him, where do you serve? He said, in Nain, Labrador. And he explained to them, you know, what it was like. And he said, generally, he said, what happens is the pastor will come in, and as soon as the first thaw happens, he's out of there. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hard life. And, and the whole population are all Inuit peoples who, who for the most of their existence, have, have been migratory. But now they've settled in Nain, but... They have some habits. They have all the habits of being migratory. And one of the things that you, you do when you're a migratory people is you only get what you need for the moment. You don't store up anything because you have to carry everything everywhere you go. And the older generation especially has this ingrained in them. And this pastor who had been there for 14 years, 14 years he served in name, being snowed in seven months of the year was retiring because he had had his fourth heart attack. He was 74 years old, and he was retiring. And he told, this, he told my friend, he said, when, when we got there, during the first snow in, he said, we had a big blizzard come, and uh, it closed everything down for a week. We finally got back to church, and we noticed we were missing a couple of people. And... Um, when church was over, my wife and I went and knocked on their doors only to find that, that these elderly folks had died. They had frozen to death in their home. 
during the blizzard because they don't think ahead to get wood for a fire because your mindset is, I, I get what I need for today. And they found three of their elderly church members frozen to death because that blizzard had, 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 had snowed so hard that they couldn't get out of their homes to get firewood. And he said <laughs> to his wife, as long as we're here, that will never happen again. And so he began a ministry to these people. And when, when the weather was good enough that you could get outside, he and his wife went out into the woods and they cut down trees and they cut it up and made firewood and stored it. And when they knew a bad storm was coming, they would go to the elderly people in their church and their home and fill up their um, wood pile so that they wouldn't freeze to death. And they did this for 14 years. And when he was leaving, the church had gathered together and it's very hard to be accepted if you're not an Inuit in that community. But the, they had accepted these two people. And he asked them, he said, he said, how is it that you all accepted us? And one of the oldest elders, an old man stood up and he said, it's quite simple, pastor. He said, you came. You loved us and you stayed. Came, you loved us, and you stayed. Brothers and sisters, kingdom expansion is not rocket science. You got to show up, you got to love people, you got to stay. And when we do that, God brings the giftings together of the church, and we expand. We are, the kingdom's expanded in us and then through us to our surroundings. I tell you what, I believe that pastor is going to hear one day, well done, good and faithful servant. And I just want to ask, and I'm not asking, I'm, I'm pointing no fingers. I'm, I'm looking, more I'm looking in a mirror. I told you I'm preaching to Paul today. I just want to ask, what are you going to hear? I don't know about you folks, but I don't want to get to heaven and stand before the Lord and him say, man, I had, I had this incredible gift I gave you. And you didn't even know you had it your whole life. What were you thinking? Now I want to get to heaven and say, I see you found that gift. And boy, did you use that for my glory. You might have thought it was preaching. It was actually gathering firewood and being the hands, my hands and feet to those Inuit people in Nain Labrador. And you did that until it about killed you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Is that what you want to hear? That's what I want to hear. We got to think that through. I'm so thankful for you folks. I'm thankful for some of you that I'll mention something and I might forget it, but you don't. You come back and say, hey, what are we doing about that? I need that. Let's figure out what God put us here to do and then let's get busy doing it. Would you stand with me? I'm going to invite our team to come. We're going to sing one of my favorite songs in closing, just simply called Grace. <clears throat> I want you to ask the Lord, what am I supposed to do with what I heard today? As you're standing there today, I want you to ask yourself this question. Do I know what my spiritual gift is? And if I don't, do I know what I need to do to find it? I would love to help you with that. 
If you do know what it is, are, what are you doing with that gift? Are you using it to expand the kingdom within you so that you can expand the kingdom around you? Are we discipling somebody? Every husband in here is called to disciple your wife. You say, well, she's more spiritual than me. Well, catch up. That is not going to fly when you stand before the king. You've got a family to disciple. What are we doing? And what might God be calling us to do? Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that it finds a hearing today in the ears and hearts of your people. And I thank you for these people. And I thank you that success in ministry is not numbers, it's faithfulness. It's loving you and loving you so well that we love each other well. I pray that you would give wisdom and clarity in the days to come. And that we would, we would serve you with passion and with excellence. We figure out what you've called us to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.